In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the revelation that Shake Milton has been inserted into the starting lineup ahead of Al Horford and that he has been running the team's half-court offense as a point guard. We then break down everything which that change impacts. We know that most of you listening to this podcast are not only Philadelphia 76ers fans, but also diehard NBA fans as well. And The Athletic has put together the best NBA staff on the planet bar none. With the return of the NBA season coming fast, The Athletic has launched The Athletic NBA Show, a daily podcast combining some of your favorite basketball voices under one umbrella. David Aldridge, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, Woz Lombrie, Dave Dufour, and more, along with a rotating cast of beat writers from around the league. Full-spectrum NBA consumption, something for everybody. Every Day features a new show covering everything from insider news to cultural issues and deep dives into in-game analytics produced by Jade Hoy. So before things tip off later this month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic's NBA Show, available now wherever you get your podcasts. And now, enjoy the Sixers beat. Mark, you should be able to unmute yourself now. Oh man, I'll mute, I'll mute your mic. My, Mike, uh, <laughs> how's your? Oh, you, got that, you got that Teddy Riley uh, Wi-Fi. Come on now, come on. Mark, Mark, let me, let me, Mark, type your question to me and I will ask it because you're breaking up real bad. All right, we don't, we don't need to keep going there. Anytime you think our job is. Glamorous, the Zoom calls have changed things up a little bit. Um, welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Hopefully a little better than Mark's Wi-Fi connection. That Teddy Riley Wi-Fi. <laughs> I don't think there was a better person to handle that question and that... uh those technical difficulties that Mark was having that day than Mike Scott. <laughs> it is. Um, you never quite know what you're going to get on these Zoom calls. Uh, sometimes you get players, and that is nice. But our world is definitely very different as reporters as we sit here and try to cover a basketball league that is taking place many miles away and in, in a bubble. But what, what we, have you thought? No, no, real quick. What, what have you thought of these Zoom calls? I mean, a Zoom call isn't great. Right. There's a whole bunch of, of problems from our perspective. Um, it's very tough to ask a follow-up question. You know, basically, so these Zoom calls, I, I guess for people who aren't on them, which is most people listening to this podcast, there will be 45 people on these Zoom calls. And especially for some of these player ones, they you might get five or six questions in. So if you're lucky enough to get a question, great. But if you like, let's say you ask a question, Ben Simmons has an answer. If I go, oh shit. I need to ask a follow-up question. There's no chance. There is no chance of asking that question because 20 people have already raised their hands and they raise their hand. I'm explaining it like all of you haven't been living on Zoom for the past four months anyway. But they go, the people who have raised their hands in the Zoom app and at that point you're, so it, it's not, it's not perfect. You also obviously can't have the conversations off to the side. There's a whole bunch of networking that you just can't do, but it's, uh, you know, we're all trying to make sense of a crazy time. So I, I, I just think the communication is pretty funny. Like the way people announce themselves, a <laughs> lot of these people are with an awkward, Hey, how you doing? And after the, the coach or the player 
answers that question for the fifth time. You probably they don't, don't need a how you doing on the sixth one, yeah. They don't really need to answer it. So, uh, yeah, the the idiosyncrasies of each individual reporter and how they address the coach, I know, uh, I know, have been something that I have been t- taking way too much time to analyze. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty awkward for sure. Yeah, it's it's very weird. It's very weird. All right, so I guess we'll start off with the big news of the week. And that is, I was going to come up with something funny and witty, and I just, I didn't have anything. It didn't work at all. So I guess we'll start off with, um, you know, I was thinking ben of something, too, I was thinking of something I, too, by it, the way, and I just didn't have it. My brain just fucking shut off. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, ben Simmons playing mostly power forward. I say mostly because today, quote unquote, Tuesday, it's not actually Tuesday. It's a joke from last week's podcast before you roast me again. But today, uh, which, which is Thursday night, we're recording, so it'll come out Friday. You know, Ben Simmons was playing point guard with a a different lineup. But when they when he's been playing with the starting lineup, he has been playing at the power forward spot. Shake Milton has been running the offense. And I guess we will have to start right there. You know, I think first of all, it is the move that I think both of us expected them to go with because of how Shake performed, because of how Brett kept referencing that Clippers game, which was the first game where Horford was coming off of the bench. And just because of the offensive struggles that the original starting five had had all season long. Getting that confirmed is nice. It gave us something to write about. It gives us something now to talk about. But the fact that Ben Simmons was playing exclusively off ball in this role, and we'll call it power forward. There's been a lot of focus on that. I don't care about the label, but he's playing off ball. I guess just from a, a starting perspective, what are your overall thoughts on that decision and whether or not it will work? Well, I have no idea if it'll work. But yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, the uh, I, I will say that it's something that while I don't know if it's going to work, it's worth trying because at this point in the season, the Sixers are 16th in offensive efficiency on uh, on cleaning the glass. That is not championship caliber, and you know there there are a lot of reasons why that is, but I I think. One of the obvious things to do is to move Ben Simmons into more of a uh, kind of secondary playmaker role. Now, but I don't exactly know what that looks like. And and like you said, it's a lot of fun to say, ooh, Ben Simmons is playing the four. But what does that really mean? Yeah. I, I guess the uh the f- I guess there's two decisions there, right? The the first one is to swap Milton in for Horford. And that is something, yeah, that we thought that's that's worth doing. Juices the shooting in the starting lineup and the ball handling. It, it'll just be a better fit. But I do think like they could have kept the ball in Ben Simmons' hands. They did not necessarily have to make shake the point guard. And who knows how much he's actually being the right. point guard. It sounds like a lot with the starting unit. But again, we don't get to watch any of these practices. So, you know, it's impossible to know exactly how much he has the ball. But yeah, like they could have inserted Shake into the starting lineup. They could have put him on the wing. That's a position he's played a lot. That's a position he's played a lot with Ben Simmons in the starting lineup. But they didn't do that. They moved Ben Simmons to the de facto four. And to be uh, fair, that's what Brett Brown has called it too. It is 
kind of funny though that when uh we talk about Simmons, he's either the one or or he slides down to the four. Like he's yeah. never he's well, never set up shop if, in the if two somebody or three. called him like the shooting guard, <laughs> Twitter would have a meltdown. Twitter would have a meltdown. They would have a meltdown. He Which, said, by the way, I love the fact that we call it like shooting guard. Like like back in the day, that was like the position that had to shoot. Very regimented roles back yes. then. Yes. I mean, those those were the days of like uh, black and white newsreels and a, a guy dribbles through his legs and the announcer oohs and ahs. Like that, that, that's what I think of when I think of the shooting guard. Like he's the one guy on the team who can shoot the ball. Kind of like Jimmy Chitwood in Hoosiers. Yes. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a lot different now, for sure. Um, as far as, as Ben is concerned, although he did say the other day, he was like, it doesn't matter what position I play. One, two, three, four, five. And it's like, you know, that's that's how he deflects. He does not like to at least publicly confront the issues of his offensive shortcomings. Like, I think in the past he'd be like, yeah, I'm willing to shoot. And, you know, he hasn't, but that's okay. Let's Let's move on from that. Uh, I do think it's something that's worth trying, but it's also something that is easier said than done because when he gives the ball up, and I I would say that he is not a point guard who monopolizes the ball like a lot of other point guards. I had a stat in my piece today, like for for the amount of time he had the ball was over seven minutes per game. It was in the top 10 in the league, basically of the top 20 guys who had the ball in their, their hands the most. He had it like second least out of all those guys. And that that makes sense, right? He's not probing in the pick and roll. He's not looking to get his shot off from three. You know, so so once he gives the ball up, he's playing the position that he currently is. Like, as soon as you give up the ball, forget about what position he is. Everybody's a spacer at that point. And I, I think there are concerns like, what is he going to do? to make that better because I think it's a lot of the same problems that we've seen. But yeah, overall, I would just say like, I don't know how they're going to use him, but if Brett can be creative and find ways to maybe give him the ball in situations where he can make more decisive moves and maybe he can catch it on the move and work with his speed in the half court. I think it's something that is worth doing and you know like just as using him as a screener and the pick and roll is worth doing but i don't know exactly what those things are because we haven't seen them so yeah i think it's something that's worth doing while having a lot of i mean some skepticism and just a lot of not not confusion but just unknown on what it actually is going to look like yeah i think i think where you where i would start off first is okay shake is in that five-man group how how does that change things? And it's, you know, you get a, a more reliable shooter, a, a, a shooter with a quicker trigger. Um, so you should get more spacing. You should get the defense being a little bit more honest. You get more ball handling. You get more passing on the move. And Al's a good passer, but he's a stationary passer. Like, you kind of have to run that pick and pop for him to really unlock that. Whereas Shake can attack a closeout. He can come off pick and roll. You get that pick and roll play. So I think just from a fit perspective, a what a, a what this team was lacking, I think Shake Milton makes more sense with that group than Horford does. Like you, you upgrade your shooting, you upgrade your ball handling, you upgrade your playmaking, and that's all good. 
And that, that, that comes whether or not Shake is playing on ball or off ball. So the second question then comes, like once you make that decision to start Shake instead of Al Horford, and look, Brett, I think it was, I think it was Wednesday. You know, Brett was like, yeah, Shake's been starting, but like, it's, it's the first couple of practices. We got a long way to go. Like he sort of hedged a little bit, but earlier, I think last week during one of our zooms, I, like I, I asked Brett and it's like, like, do you think eight games is enough to pivot out of something major? And the reason I asked that is to just get sort of like a, a, a sense of, you know, when they, when they came out with the decision and we, we sort of saw this decision, like how entrenched in that decision were they? And I think there would take some, like, I don't think this is something where they're like experimenting for a look to see what maybe the starting five would look like. And they're running this through camp and, but it's, it's not really set. Like, I think it would take, there's, there's be some real resistance to changing. Like, I think there would have to be something that would run them out of this belief right now. Like they've spent four months thinking about it. I, yeah, I think it's pretty well. Exactly. Ingrained. I think that's the, the big point too. The, the amount of time they've been able to self scout and look at what their weaknesses are. I, I think it's, more you need to pay attention more to what they are doing to start because they have had a ton of time to think about it. Yeah. So once you make that decision and you elevate shake all right there, no matter how you label it, no matter who gets the ball first, like Ben's ball handling responsibilities is going to drop. Now, how much does that mean that can change? And maybe you can say that by Brett coming out and saying shake's been the point guard pretty much the entire time. Maybe that'll change more than we expected, but it was, it was always going to change no matter if you called Ben a point guard, no matter if he made the first pass, like it was going to, he was, he was, I mean, that's part of why you do that because shake has that pick and roll skill. Um, now how much like right now I'm not making too much of a effort. Like I'm, I'm not putting too much weight into Brett saying he's been playing Ben exclusively at the floor, at the four, at the floor, at the four. Because I think, you know, you, you haven't had shake run the offense all that much, especially when Joel and Ben have been on the court, almost not at all when Joel and Ben have been on the court. So this is new. Let's get that up to speed. But when it comes, and, and maybe even for the eight games in a regular season, you're going to see a lot of shake running the show because he just hasn't done it as much as Ben has. But when, when we get to the playoffs and you need a, you know, a bucket against Miami. Like I, Ben is still going to be involved. Like I think anyone thinking Ben is going to be an off ball player. Certainly. I mean, certainly not exclusively because when shakes off the court, he's going to be your, your point guard. But even when the two are sharing the court, I think it's probably going to be shared more than people are reacting to right now, but it will be interesting. You know, we have seen this two years in a row now where Ben has sort of had the ball taken out of his hands to some degree. And like, I don't, I don't expect, shake to have the kind of role that Jimmy Butler had, like especially in that second round against Toronto where, I mean, Ben was largely a bystander for very significant portions of that game. I don't think that will happen, but it is, you know, I, we can talk a lot and we'll talk about strategy and skill sets and, and, and plays and whatnot. You do wonder, like, could we get to a point where Ben's sort of sick of this, where it's like, look, this is supposed to be my team. I'm, I'm an all-star. I averaged however many points, however many assists. And two years in a row now, I've been sidelined. Like, look, Brett has said the right things. Ben has said the right things. And I, I don't expect there to be a problem in the playoffs. You do wonder a little bit whether or not he's... And I hope he gets okay. I like. I remember going back last year when sort of the narrative around Jimmy Butler leaving was, oh, well, now they're handing the reins over to Ben. 
they're showing confidence in Ben. It's like, okay, but that doesn't really matter if his skill set doesn't evolve. Like I think I always felt like at some point Ben had to be okay sort of being like that co-lead ball handler, that 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 two guard backcourt, even though we'll never call him a guard if he's not starting at point guard, like you said. But he always had to sort of like come to grips with the fact there's going to be another lead-esque ball handler sharing a court with him because he just had skill sets that he lacked. So I hope, I hope he truly is okay with this, not only now for the next couple of weeks or months in Orlando, but for the foreseeable future, because if it's not shake, then it needs to be somebody else. Like, I think, I think that's, I, I hope he's good with it, but it is tough for a guy who has, you know, pretty much had the ball in his hand ever since he stepped foot on the court to now two postseasons in a row, sort of had it taken away a little bit. I could understand if that was tough. All right, let's pause for one break to hear from Hawthorne. A lot of you out there probably aren't all that deft at finding the right fragrance for your needs. Shopping for a clone can be challenging, stressful, and overwhelming. There's too many fragrances, too many name brands, and not enough personalization to get you the right fragrances for you. Our friends at Hawthorne are here to help you with that, with an easy process that will get you hooked up and smelling wonderful, with fragrances to match your lifestyle. They start you off with a questionnaire, with questions ranging from the sensitivity of your skin, your grooming and maintenance routine, what level of knowledge you have about fragrances going in, your personality, and what your typical day looks like. From there, they send you two different fragrances, one for work and one for play. For me, they picked out a wonderful fresh and marine sandalwood for work, and then a more playful aromatic and woody scent as well. They also have personalized shampoo, body wash, and deodorant to match your lifestyle and personality. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code Sixers to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co. And use my promo code Sixers to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. And now back to the show. It's an ego hit for sure. And it's I think it's somewhat similar to Horford being asked to go to the bench. Yeah. It's pretty rare for somebody that young and that accomplished, two-time All-Star by the age of 23, and someone who has done nothing but win in the NBA. Now, that has something to do with his teammates as well, but he's been a huge part of it. It's it's pretty rare for that person to have been the league lead ball handler, and at 23, the team is saying, eh, we're going to take it out of your hands a little bit. Here's and- this, this 54th pick in the draft who just a year ago, pretty much to the day, was struggling in the summer league to run an offense. Oh, We're going to yeah. let him do it now. Yeah, That's an important point, too, because I think at this time last year, yeah, pretty much exactly at this time last yeah. year, because we had just come back from the summer league at that point. It just the, uh, the basketball calendar has been completely rearranged because of this. <laughs> but yes, that was a year ago. I'm pretty sure you could find some audio on this podcast of us saying, Oh, he was yeah, terrible. I don't yeah. think this guy can be a lead point guard. And uh, here we are a year later, I'm trusting like- him to to play like that in the in, uh, in the playoffs. The the one thing I will say is that like the idea of Shake as the point guard, the Sixers point guard never has had the ball the same amount like Kemba Walker, or Damian Lillard, or Chris Paul, or somebody like that. That's just not how they play. Like they pass the ball more. They they lead like they've led the league in passes for a lot of seasons. They play through the elbows a lot, and hopefully maybe Ben will, will be in that position. And they play through Embiid at the post more than um, most people. And I think even when Shake was playing with Horford 
and Tobias on that West Coast trip, he did not have the ball every trip. So like I think it's people like saying that okay, he's the point guard, but they utilize their point guards differently than other teams do. Sure. Yep. Um But it will you know, I I, I always go back to it's like I said in my article the other day. Like I go back to Ben in the series against the Raptors and how ineffective and really how small of a role he was in the half court offense. And I do like, uh, since I wrote about this, I guess we'll start this off with you. Like, how do you think this is, how differently do you think this is going to look with shake and Ben sort of being the two initiators than it did with Jimmy and Ben? I think it'll be shared more. I I think a, a better way to look at, Ben's involvement is not, is he on or off the ball? It's, is he involved in the action or is he not involved in the action? And last season in the playoffs, Jimmy just had the ball. And I think a lot of times, like, I I would need to go back and rewatch that Toronto series. But I remember at the end of games, it was a lot of Jimmy and Bede pick and roll. Which which is not the best use of Joel's skill set either. But like I'm thinking and even sp- even even Jimmy JJ pick and roll and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It was, but it, going back to your point, I actually went back and I rewatched pretty much every Jimmy Butler pick and roll from last year. Or at least I, I guess I should clarify when I do this, I'm doing it through a program called Synergy. And it's only possession ending events. So like if a pick and roll leads to a shot, a turnover, something a foul drawn, something of that sort. And I think there were maybe like Five, like there were like single digit Butler ball handler, uh, Simmons screen or pick and rolls. It was very small, very small. Yep. And I'm just thinking back to like game two where Embiid had that pump fake and drive that was on a pick and roll with him and Butler. And yeah, I think like even as the series went along and Simmons started to have some success, like a lot of tip dunks sneaking in from the weak side, a lot of instances where he was not involved in the main action. And I think that is going to be the more important way to stroke his ego, I guess, or or just keep him satisfied, I guess is the better way to put it. But yeah, I don't think he's going to want to be standing in that, in that dunker spot. And there are different ways they can do it. And Bede mentioned the, the snug pick and rolls, which we talk about a lot for a play that has not been very successful, but that's yeah. that's one. Ben as the screener, and, and I think that's another way to use them. Brett said earlier today. Tuesday. Yeah, earlier, whatever day it is, that it, it's pretty simple why Shake works with him offensively. One, because he's guarded by smaller players, and you can't really switch in the same way you would be able to switch a screen and roll with Tobias. You would think right. Tobias and Ben, those players, they're probably similar size. Shake, it's probably not that way. He's going to be guarded by one of the shorter players on the team. So maybe if you switch that, Ben can more effectively post up. And and I do think, you know, I think some people think, oh man, he's playing the four. Now he'll get the post up more. Oh, no, God, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. He is a terrible post-up player. And that includes he's, he's, his passing, too. Yeah, I was going to say, the only thing that even remotely saves him is if they send a double and he can pass out of it. But nobody doubles. But, I was going to say, with how inefficient he is, why would you double? Yeah. He's uh, he's just so physical until it 
becomes time to actually take the shot. And then that's not a high percentage shot, but yeah, the, from not being able to switch with him and shake. And also the simple act of the defender has to chase over the screen on shake. And I think shake was asked about this as well. Just like, why does he think he'd be able to work with Ben? He's like, look, I'm going to pull it if they go under. And that's very important. He's become much improved off the dribble. And yeah, I think if the Sixers can spring Ben into those Blake Griffin, Draymond Green short rolls, he is overqualified to do that. But uh, I- I'll just be interested because like, look, Joel Embiid needs to get the ball. He He posts up more than anybody in the league. How Ben can stay involved in the offense, like the, the base offense without the ball will be interesting. I, I think the, the most important thing that Brett and the coaching staff have to do, you can't have him standing around. Like he needs to be screening for somebody. He needs to be driving. He needs to be like running a dribble handoff. There are ways to, uh, to have him contribute in an off ball role, but they are, they're like a little less obvious than if he was a lead ball handler. I think you yeah. have to be more creative. And for the most part, Brett has favored a more vanilla style of offense. Like they run pretty basic sets. They stay fairly stationary when Embiid posts up, although they did mix in a little off ball screening earlier this season. But yeah, keeping him keeping him involved will, will be interesting. But I think it's important to note too, and you called this out in your article, what happens when Shake isn't in the game, though? And I, I think he's going to have the ball a lot. And Brett said it today. Like, there was a second unit that Brett and Brett Brett was basically giving away the whole rotation. Where um, he, are uh, you surprised? I'm surprised he was that open to it. it. It might not mean that much then. It might not. Um, especially because, like, a, a lot of times when we get to the playoffs, Brett sort of gets the grumpy Brett. And he doesn't really divulge nearly as much as he does during the regular season. We we call which, him grumpy Brett, by the way, too, just because like he's normally pretty happy. For and a head coach, he's not really grumpy. It's just a grumpier version of Brett. Yeah. Because most head coaches are just grumpy in general. Right. And right. this is uh this is different. Although he got pretty grumpy after some games this year. I asked him a question after one of those Orlando beatdowns. <laughs> he was not happy about that. <laughs> but he, he he's usually pretty protective of information at I was going to say this time of year, but I mean, this time of the NBA calendar, but there are still eight regular season games. So any kind of rotations he would have had, like they would have been known beforehand anyway. It's not like you can hide them too much if you have to work on them as well. But yeah, he he, he did start to uh, divulge some of that. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know, you know, how much ball hand, like the, the group he teased today. Had Korkmaz, Thibel, Horford, and Harris. There is yeah. no like yeah, gonna, obvious secondary ball handlers yeah. there. Yeah. So he's going to have the ball with them. And those, I, I will say, like the Horford-Simmons units, it's kind of gotten lost this season. They've been really good offensively for the most part. Yep. That I actually looked up. That unit has played about 300 possessions on cleaning the glass. They've only been about break even, but I, I think the idea of – a more pace and space unit with uh, with Simmons and Horford leading the way is is a good one. Yeah, yeah, and if that team is a little more competitive defensively, if they maybe change some of their schemes uh, to suit Horford a little bit better, uh, they certainly I think can succeed offensively. 
And I guess that can sort of dovetail us into, although it is, I'm going to find it real interesting now how much time Horford is going to be playing and how much, you know, are they going to, yeah, you know, cause if Joe, like he, he, Brett said earlier this week, his target for Joe is 38 minutes, which I, I seems very optimistic to me. But if that's true, like it would be real tough for me to get even more than 20 minutes for, for Al in the playoffs. And I, again, we go back to, and look, I think Ben Simmons is a really hard worker and I think he does want to win. And I think Al is a really good teammate who has shown throughout his career that he's a really good teammate, but this is a five time all-star, you know, um, this is a guy who has professional pride. If he's playing 15 to 20 minutes per game in the playoffs, like, all right, it's one thing to get through in these next couple of weeks, these next couple of months, it would be a little bit tougher of a sell to be like, okay, here also, this is the next three years of your life. It will be interesting to see how he balances this. Brett's sort of in a weird spot where, you know, he's, I, I mean, look, every time I go on the radio, every time I ask for mailbag questions, will Brett keep his job? It's like the number, not the number one question, but it's always snuck in there. And I'm sure he hears it. I'm sure he knows about it. I'm sure he understands the reality of, of, of where he stands within the organization. He's not really worried about two years down the road. He's not really worried about buy-in for the next couple of years. He needs to win basketball games this July and August, or that's somebody else's problem. Look, I hope, I hope, I hope Al, I hope, I mean, who knows if Al's going to be here, but I hope Al, I hope Ben, I hope they're all really bought in. And like I said, I think ultimately this needs to be Ben's role going forward. The only question is whether or not that is shake and he is capable and viable or whether that is somebody else to be determined that they would struggle to get because they don't have trade assets or, or cap flexibility. But I think this is, I think this is ultimately Ben's preferred role. It's still just, it's still just a tough sell. So we will see. Yeah. A lot of intrigue in these next couple of weeks. If that is the second unit, you do look at like the third team, kind of the Embiid only units. And you're thinking like, you know, Mike Scott has worked pretty well with Embiid during his career. And I think even when he's not shooting well, he does provide a deep uh, level of like floor spacing and gravity, shoots the ball from the the four point line that the Sixers use. So I guess he's not going to play then if you're going to play Horford over those 20 minutes. I am, uh, you know, I think a lot of players have been asked about their roles. Like Alec Burks has been asked about it. Glenn Robinson. It's, you know, if it's a nine man rotation, I think there are 11 people who can have a realistic argument for a spot. And it just doesn't seem like any of them have given away how much each of them are going to play. It seems like everybody's happy. I don't know. I guess part of me is judging by the Matisse vlogs, and maybe that's not the right way to go about it. Although that's the only exposure we have to these people right now. Um, and, uh, and doctored, uh, or not doctored, edited practice footage that have, has been. Are you, are you saying that Ben Simmons jumper didn't actually go in? No, it went in. It looked good. What, what did Brett say today? He said he's taken more of those threes than. Like a half a season of practice. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Didn't he say earlier in the season, though, that he shoots a lot of threes in practice? Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, look, I, I think somebody um, compared it to me on Twitter today. It's, uh, you know, the Peanuts character ripping away the ball right before you kick it. Like, you can't – I've heard this so many times, you can't trick me again with this. Lucy and Charlie uh, Brown. Yep. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. We'll see. I mean, look, uh, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, it, it 
it, it's not even like we've talked so much about Ben's jumper. Like it's not form. It's not um, whether or not he takes him in practice. It's whether he'll take him when uh, the cameras are on. I don't know. We'll see. All right, let's pause for one more break. This time to hear from DraftKings. Can you feel it? The excitement and anticipation has been growing for weeks and the time is almost here. That's right. Baseball is coming back next week. The teams will be taking the field in less than 10 days and there's no better place to get in on the action than DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To put you in the center of the action, DraftKings Sportsbook is celebrating the new season with a special promotion. Before the season starts, place a bet of at least $25 on who will be crowned the champion, and they'll give you a $25 free bet to use on opening day. While we are all excited for baseball, don't forget that there is European soccer happening all week long and a huge golf tournament that is sure to be thrilling. DraftKings Sportsbook is U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's code TOSS to get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. All right. So I guess moving on to... Where was I going to pivot? I had a place where I was going to pivot to. Hmm. Do you read into the that that secondary unit, the Matisse, specifically Matisse and Korkmaz, do you think they are in the playoff, safely in the playoff rotation? It sounds like at least to start they will be, but I, I do wonder if they struggle in these seeding games. I, I do feel like both of them could get yanked pretty quickly. Yeah. Those are the adjustments I think you could see make. Like Shake being removed from the starting lineup, unless it completely bombs, I don't think that's going to happen. But like if Furkan comes out and he struggles, those are the adjustments I think you would see. But if we assume that Al and and Matisse and Korkmaz are the three of the four in that nine-man rotation, who do you think gets that, uh, that last spot? I would say, I mean, I mean, I think the idea of Ben being the point guard on those middle units frees up, like you don't necessarily need a ball handler. On the uh, on the Embiid bench units because Shake would theoretically come back in yep. for those minutes, so I would lean towards Robinson. Okay, but I mean, like I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it could it, it could also be matchup dependent. It could be game to game dependent. Like you could certainly see Mike Scott, especially with that Embiid group, because he does provide that floor space. But and, you can't um, play him, Horford, and Embiid together, right? No, no, no. That would have to come at the expense of some of Al's minutes. Yeah, yeah. But like I, I do think that is when you play Mike Scott and the Sixers over the years have I think they've generally subscribed to that substitution pattern where Mike Scott does not come in even when Mike Scott was like really in their good graces and he was playing, I don't know, twenty, twenty five minutes a game, he wouldn't come in until that second sub. Yeah. To uh to start with Embiid. And I don't know. I I think he's a good fit and those two have, have played well together. You could argue that a lot of that is just and beat against any opposition with some bench players 
it's generally a pretty good formula for the Sixers, but uh, I, I do think that's how you would use Mike Scott. And like the idea of going away from Mike Scott, as much as we bashed him this season, I wouldn't like necessarily pull the plug on that just yet because he has played in some real, like actual playoff games and that has to count for something. Yeah. Yes, it has. Um, yeah, I don't know. The bench still, I, I got asked recently, like, is this the best supporting cast that Embiid and Simmons have had during their run? And the answer is probably, but so what? Like, they're still, I don't know. I, I still look at this and it's like, uh, I don't know. I think last year's probably better. Uh, The bench well, was guess, bad. The starting lineup, I think, was definitely better, though. Well, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I was more thinking bench, but yeah. Um, and also like the Bellinelli Ilyasova team. I don't know. We're, we're, we're picking, picking different flavors of bad. I don't know. <laughs> it was definitely uh, better than, uh, than last year. Although it yes. has been good to see, uh, Toby and Bobby reunited. I, I do just, <laughs> I feel a little bad for, for Toby though. Like with all the, the love they've been giving the, the Luca and Boban relationship, like I could, I could see that being a little tough on him. Yeah. He, he was pretty funny in the one video where he is, I guess he's like eating dinner or something like that. And he, Boban and Luca are just walking out on the, uh, on the fishing pier outside. And he's just like, look at this man with Luca or whatever. And it's, uh, Tobias is, he's, he's been one of the jokesters of the, uh, of the bubble. I, he's got a great New York accent, by the way, both, yes. both he and O'Quinn have an excellent New York accent. Different New York accents, but yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It is. I mean, it really does go to I, it, this whole thing, the way it's played out with, you know, a a relatively unproven second round pick planning your $109 million power forward. It really does make like sort of the decisions made between, I'll say February, you know, 2019 to now. I, it, it's it. Like if if you're gonna tell me that Ben Simmons should be paired with a, a a second creator, which I think they believe, I think they've always sort of believed because that's why Markel happened to some degree. That's why Jimmy Butler happened. Boy, they, they invested a lot of money in power forwards, Rich. Whew. Boy, they invested a lot of money. I mean, I would I would call Tobias a a power forward, and really not even all that versatile of one. Like he is in today's NBA, he is a power forward defensively. That's a lot of money, Rich. That's a lot of money. It is, and it's uh, it's almost fitting that the uh, that sequence of events is now being decided and, and being judged in one of the weirder environments of NBA basketball that we've ever seen. The weirdest environment of NBA yes. basketball that we've ever seen. Certainly, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Do you think you would do well in the bubble? No, no, I, I would not. Um, I would get bored. I would get picky i would get antsy i would i would no i would not i just wonder like how easy it is for them to pick up food yeah that would be like because i i have real weird like not weird but i've like i i i fall into patterns and if i can't get back to that pattern i think i would probably lose my mind pretty quickly well for me it might not be a problem either because i eat like shit at all times anyway but i just wonder like for a lot of these guys who you know, take great care of their bodies and eat healthy and can play until they're, you know, 
40 years old, like Vince Carter. Or I don't even know how old LeBron is now, but still be at the top of his game in his mid to late 30s. I just wonder, like, are they able to get that uh, that healthy food in there? Because it, I, I don't think, like, the Sixers brought their, their chef with them. Right. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I would get bored, What is too. this, like, the 17th year LeBron's been in the league? The 17th? He came in 2003, right? Because 3 4 would be his first year. That's amazing. That's amazing. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, no, a lot I, of minutes. Anyway. anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I would do particularly well. Uh, I, I would, I would get stir crazy, but I would have, would have done it. It's a, a very unique event. It is a something uh, knock on wood. I, I, now that I, I even start saying it, I, I, I worry, but hopefully that we will never see again. But, um, I do feel a little bit better after watching what some of the protocols calls are watching how some of the players have, have taken to those protocols. I know that it's early, right? And you always worry about their mental health as this goes along. It's it's easier to do this the the first couple of days, but yes, I I do feel a little bit better, at least about them suppressing the virus in in the bubble. But again, that's uh, that's something that even if you are optimistic about, it's uh, it's impossible to guarantee that that'll still be the case a couple of weeks from now. All right, I think uh, I think it's probably a good enough place to cut it off. What we've got by the time this comes out, you will be a week away from the first scrimmage. I believe that's on the twenty fourth. Um, scrimmage my, on my, TV. My accuracy on some of these things has not been great lately, uh, but I believe we are a week away from the first scrimmage. Like you mentioned, that will be on TV, so we will get some basketball to watch soon and and even that you're only then two weeks away from an actual nba a regular season nba game that counts in the standing Whew. cannot believe i'm actually able to say that again but thank you rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon see you man